Hi everyone, it's Tim Topham here and I just wanted to let you know about our first webinar of the year. This is a really exciting one. It's called Unfazed, Teaching Neurodivergent Students in 2024 with Confidence and Success. Have you ever been unsure about approaches for teaching students who present differently or who you're not sure how to reach in lessons? Perhaps you've taken on a neurodivergent student and just not feeling that confident about your approach. Maybe it feels really slow or difficult. We just want certainty that you're on the right track. Or perhaps you've taken on a student who you think might be neurodivergent but aren't sure and don't really know the next steps. How do you teach them? Do you talk to the parents? What do you say? Most teachers have so many questions about this. So we've teamed up with the incredibly experienced Selena Pistoresi, author of The Milestone Method and our original special needs teaching course, one of the most popular Inside Top Music Pro membership to answer all your questions. This is a totally free webinar. It's being held on Wednesday, the 14th of February at 8 a.m. Melbourne time, which is Tuesday, the 13th of February at 4 p.m. Eastern time, USA, which is also 9 p.m. London time. And we're going to be covering so many different things and answering every question that we possibly can. Things like how to recognize a student's learning needs upon meeting them for the first time, how to have an exact roadmap and pre-planned activities how to feel calm, cool and collected during lessons, even when students present difficult behavior. And if you already teach neurodivergent students, no problem. We're going to be providing fresh perspective and new material and of course, answering any of those tricky questions. And look, the information in this webinar actually is going to apply to a huge range of students with support needs, abilities and levels. They're not just for students with dyspraxia or dyslexia, or any specific diagnosis. These are skills which every teacher can find valuable for just about any student. So, can't wait to welcome you along to it. You can sign up and find out more at topmusic.co slash webinar. We will record it. And if you want any questions answered, feel free to send them to support at topmusic.co. Just use the subject unfazed questions, or you can post in any of our Facebook groups or on social media. Can't wait to see you there. Hey there, I'm Rachel Aaring, and you're listening to the Top Music Piano Podcast. Get inspired as we discuss creative resources, trends in piano pedagogy, ways to grow your income and streamline your studio, and new ways to engage your students each week. If you are a teacher who wants to go beyond the method books to create an innovative studio that fosters lifelong music makers, you've come to the right place. Hello, piano teachers. I'm so glad that you found the new show and are here listening. Today, I'm going to be talking with Tara Mock, who is a piano teacher with many years of experience teaching students with neurodifferences. She has such a beautiful perspective on how to approach piano lessons with these students and also how to have conversations with their parents. In today's episode, we talk about what to say, but also what not to say. Tara Mock has been teaching for 28 years and owns an independent piano studio in Raleigh, North Carolina. She earned a Master of Music in Piano Pedagogy from the University of South Carolina, focusing on improvisation for the beginner piano student. After homeschooling her own children with neurodivergent diagnoses for over 14 years, she is focusing on teaching piano to students who learn and experience the world differently as well. She currently serves as the second vice president of membership in the Raleigh Piano Teachers Association and previously served in various roles in the Jacksonville Music Teachers Association in Jacksonville, Florida. Her family includes her genius husband, two amazing and gifted children, one in college and the other finishing high school, two of the best dogs ever, a goofy horse, and many fish. Here's my interview with Tara. 
Hi, Tara. Welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you here today. Can you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your teaching studio? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Rachel. I'm so excited to be here. So I'm a mom of two teens. One is in college, others in 11th grade. I've homeschooled them all the way through kindergarten. My husband is Chris, and he will tell you we've been married for 25 long years. <laughs> I've been teaching piano for almost 28 years. Uh, I earned my master's in piano pedagogy at the University of South Carolina. My teaching has waxed and waned over the years, depending on the season of life that we were in. So sometimes it was few students or no students or part-time. This past year, I am back into full-time teaching, and I, I really, really love it. Both of my children have neurodiverse uh, diagnoses, and so I, having that experience as a parent, I started to teach that way in my studio, and I've leaned more and more towards specializing in teaching students who are neurodiverse, and I really, really love it. They experience the world differently, and that can be hard work for them. And so I want them to come to my studio and it be a place of respite, a place of joy to create music. Yes. And that's why I wanted to have you on this show is I think you bring such a special perspective being a mom of those kids as well as a teacher. Would you mind sharing just maybe a little bit more of your journey to becoming an expert in this field of neurodiverse students? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's purely by accident, <laughs> uh, perhaps divine accident. My son was diagnosed with Asperger's uh, when he was younger. People may or may not know Asperger's is not in the current DSM. Uh, it is now lumped under general autism. We, My family still refers to it that way because that's how he was diagnosed. And he also has ADHD. I have another child with um, Tourette syndrome who was diagnosed um, at eight years old. We decided to homeschool them so that they wouldn't be left behind. I knew they had specific gifts that we could just run away with, and I could use those gifts to help strengthen their weaknesses. And we fell in love with homeschooling. So then over the years, I've led a couple of homeschool groups. And a lot, sometimes, a lot of times, parents will homeschool because of their child's diagnosis and that they can customize their education. So I had a lot of parents come to me with questions and I learned quickly to, you know, stop for a moment and tell me what they're good at. Tell me about your child and what they love. So that just kind of built life experience and compassion with it. Also, being at University of South Carolina with Dr. Uh, Scott Price was a huge influence. He was specializing in teaching autistic students. And so watching him take that journey has always been fascinating to me. And I recently took a class with Dr. Elizabeth Davis, um, Adaptive Piano Pedagogy 101, to really fine-tune my skills in that area. So I'm only in an expert in that realm of experience with life experience and teaching experience. I don't have any like solid degrees behind me in that field other than the piano pedagogy master's degree. So I'm curious, did you do that master's degree before you had kids or when you were raising your kids? Before, Before had I had kids, yeah. And, you know, you just take it all in. I graduated, I think, in 2001 with that master's. And then later when my son was diagnosed and it was just like, 
oh, okay, I saw Dr. Price doing this. And, you know, I eventually moved here to North Carolina. And as it happened, he was one of the first presenters in the local RPTA. And I was able to connect with him, have a conversation. And, hey, this is what my son is. I really understand what you're doing now and love it that much more because of, you know, what we're going through as a family. Yeah. Isn't it funny how that education and experiences comes back to you and you think of things that you learned all those years ago and how, how it relates to what you're doing today? Well, thank you for sharing all that. I really loved what you said about asking parents what your child is good at. And maybe that's the place that we can start is um, because today we, I want to talk about how to have conversations with parents of um, students that we either know or suspect might have um, neuro differences. But let's back up just a little bit. What are some of the first signs that we might see in piano lessons that a student has a learning difference that we should be aware of? It can be really hard to pinpoint. Sometimes for me, it's just a gut feeling. But to put it into concrete terms, you're doing a lot of observation first. So, and it's going to be very unique from person to person. You know, there's an old saying that if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And that goes for any of the diagnoses. They're, it feels like they're all a spectrum and they're all unique. The way my child experiences Tourette syndrome is vastly different from the next one. So there's that to keep in mind. How did they handle routine? How do they handle their expectations or if their expectations aren't met? Communication. They're communicating uh, through their body language. They're communicating with their words or lack of words. You know, if if this is a child that might have selective mutism, maybe you're just watching their facial expressions. Their special interests. What are their special interests? What are their frustrations? That's the key one. What are they getting frustrated about? And that's going to help you kind of guide your next steps and, and what to do. So it will likely never be a single thing. It's more of closely observing the student, taking in all the communication that they're giving you about how they learn and what's working and not working. And if they are processing information, how they are processing it, and then realize that some things might be collectively pointing to a disability or a particular diagnosis. Okay. And then once a piano teacher recognizes some of those signs or suspects there could be something going on, what is the next step as far as possibly having a conversation with the parent? So what I do is I actually just make a decision to teach as if they have that learning difference. I just adjust myself in that way. It can't hurt. And you can adjust. You always want to be adaptable, right? So maybe your assumption might be incorrect and you go, okay, no problem. This is all like my internal thought process. No problem. Let me shift this way. What I do not do is that I do not talk to the parents about it. I don't feel that that is my place. I know, and this probably comes from my experience as a parent, when someone has suggested to me that my child might have a particular diagnosis and I wasn't ready to hear it, it feels like a punch in the gut. You know, even when my son's speech therapist kept insisting he needs to be evaluated, he needs to be evaluated, we resisted for a very long time. As a parent, you don't want to hear that your child might be different or you're worried about the labels or you're worried about the diagnosis or you're worried about their future even. Are they going to be able to get married and have a normal life and experience the world normally? So a lot of stuff rolls through your brain and it's very stressful. So 
in when you take that into consideration, then you just kind of shift the conversation a little bit differently. The best tip I got from Dr. Davis was um, to ask this question, whether on a form or, you know, uh, by text, email, what do I need to know about your child to help me best help them? And it's an invitation for parents to tell you about their student without any implications of a diagnosis. And it might be really surprising what you learn, and it's going to greatly help you navigate the relationship with their parents and with the student. You want to partner with their parents and not work against them. This may open the door for them to share a diagnosis or not, but the invitation is there. Can you share that question one more time? Because that was really good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, What do I need to know about your child to help me best help them? I do too. It was like a, it was gold. When Elizabeth shared that in the class, I immediately wrote it down and it has been incredibly helpful. And what kind of responses have you gotten when you have asked that question to parents? Oh, that is a great question. And as it happens, I had this conversation with a parent this week and I asked her permission to share on this podcast specifically, and she wholeheartedly gave it to me. So the way that I approached this was in the lesson, she's a very sweet, hands-on parent. She would talk to her son and say, hey, you're being a little bit squirrely. I need you to settle down and focus. So I texted her later and I said, and I used her language back with her so that I wasn't being inadvertently offensive. And I said, how can I best teach him on his squirrely days? I don't want to do anything inadvertently that you wouldn't recommend or counteract anything that you're doing at home or you're doing as a family to stay engaged. Um, And then I just complimented him. He's doing such a great job. He's working so hard to stay focused. Feel free to give me input. Her, you're not always going to have an ideal response from a parent, of course, but this was an ideal response. She was appreciative of me. Uh, appreciative of me asking. Um, She even said, if you have any suggestions, she would love to hear them. She said, and I loved how she worded this was sometimes he just needs help remembering to breathe, help his brain slow down. He wants to look and touch everything. And he's thinking of a million questions all at once. So she said, and this is the phrase I love, it's not a lack of engagement, but over engaging in everything at the same time. Incredibly insightful. And that's a gem I'm storing in my brain for how I interact with other parents and students. And she gave me tips. He, uh, it helps him to have a synopsis of what to expect. Uh, He, you know, he wants to touch. Right now, he's in awe of the sounds coming from your piano because I have a a small grand piano. So my response was perfect. This helps me. And this is what I told her. I am going to slow my speaking space down, speaking pace down. I'm going to lower my volume to and then kind of breathe with him without saying that I'm doing that. I have a tactile uh, switchboard that I can put lesson elements on that when we finish one, he can slide the switch and it's done. And or and or I can create like a visual system of what we're going to do next. And that takes away the anxiety of what to expect and kind of I think will help him focus. So we'll try and see how it goes. And so it was just a wonderful way to partner with the parent um, and have that ongoing communication, because what you want to do is build trust with that parent. Yeah, that sounds like a really helpful conversation, and I'm sure it will open up the doors to more conversations in the future. And she probably gave you some insight, possibly into other students and what they might be 
feeling as well by say using that word of over-engaged or whatever the word was that she yeah, said. Was, yeah. Over-engaging and everything at the same time. I just, that was just gold. Like, I feel like I could, you know, use that phrase and kind of look around at my studio and go, who, you know, I think I have some other students and this could be helpful to help me make things easier for them in the studio. Yeah. But that is excellent advice. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what to avoid saying to parents um, even if we have the best intentions and our heart is in the right place, sometimes we say the wrong thing. And you were talking about, um, you know, people you had encountered as a parent to maybe ask the wrong question or said that gave the wrong advice. Can you tell us what we should avoid talking about with these parents or avoid maybe words we shouldn't use? Uh, yeah, I think it's and the the kind of acceptable language changes all the time. So. You know, um, you want to use people first language, you know, instead of disabled students, you want to say student with disabilities because they're a person first, you know, and I'm sure I mess up that up sometimes myself because I feel like it's a it, it changes frequently. But I think overall, when we go through experience in life, we all experience things, um, go through difficult things and people say things to us that are inadvertently hurtful. And so we learn through our own life experiences what not to say, as well as sometimes we say things that was the wrong thing to say. And you have to, you know, foot and mouth type of situation. I try to uh, frame everything in a positive way. So instead of saying your son needs to focus more, you know, maybe just pull that back and go. And I don't even have the conversation. I just think, okay, how can I help him focus better? You know, oh, he's so fidgety. Some kids actually learn and take in information when they're fidgety. It's like my son would be on the trampoline or hanging upside down and doing his times tables. He has to be moving to learn. And so how can we quietly help them engage in something fidgety while they're learning? They're taking it all in. The best thing to do is just have a pot frame everything in a positive language. And the more positive interactions you have with the parents, you're building trust. And then that way, they'll, they'll be open to more and more conversation about it. So that wasn't particularly helpful as far as specific things that aren't helpful. I think one thing is just to directly ask questions. If you come up against a diagnosis, a parent says, hey, my child has this, ask questions you know, address the child, address the parent and find out. One of my children has had a flare up with um, her Tourette syndrome. And the sweetest thing to me is one of the parents has, and I had to let everybody know so that they could talk to their children about Tourette syndrome before they came for lessons, because they would be hearing her make the high pitched sounds. But she earnestly sought out with such support and compassion to educate herself, you know, tell me what helps you. Can you tell me, is this genetic or not? Do foods, you know, and I didn't mind. I wasn't bothered in the least because her earnestness meant so much to me and her desire to seek and educate herself. Because we as parents want to educate everybody. You know, when our kid is diagnosed, we're in mama bear mode, right? And we want to educate everybody because our kids are amazing kids, you know? Um, so that's, that's a good example of kind of what to say too. Yes. And maybe coming from that perspective of all of these kids are amazing kids and 
what can we learn about those amazing traits that can help us teach them better? I really like that. So as a parent of children with neurodiversity, are there things that you wish the teacher, their teachers might know, but you don't know how to express it? Or do you think there's things, maybe parents that you've dealt with that they probably want you to know, but they don't know how to tell you? Uh, yes. I want people to know how amazing my kids are. And, you know, my, my daughter is a beautiful vocalist and she sings so well. She leads and worships so well at church. She's kind and compassionate and just an amazing person. And my son is crazy smart. Um, so good at math and logical processes and he plays the drums really well. And this is what he does well. And I feel like um, some sometimes you end up seeing as what is a diagnosis can be a gift. There's things that he can do. His brain is brilliant in this way, but social skills may became more difficult for him. So he has to work at social skills, whereas some of us come across them intuitive, intuitively, you know. Things I want um, as a parent, I want them to know is we're exhausted as parents. Like it is, it's hard being a parent, of course. Right. But we're, when you add on some ex, an extra diagnoses, all of a sudden you, you have all these doctor appointments, you have therapy appointments. You, if you have go to a public or private school, you might have IEP or four, 504 meetings. You're, um, you're researching your, in addition to dinner. And then in addition to really uh, helping your kid cope with whatever symptoms or traits that they have. You know, if I need to help my child with Tourette, like have a calm moment, then I need to put aside everything I'm doing. So sometimes it feels like you're just barely keeping your head above water. So, you know, I want my parents to come to my studio to know, hey, I get it. I've been where you are. If you forget your books, I don't even care. I've got extra copies. I don't need that to be an extra stressor in your life. You know, you didn't have a week where you guys could fit in a lot of practice. That's okay. There is so much more that we can do. So I want music to be a, a place of respite and joy for them and not one of pressure. Um, that's, so that's really good advice. And maybe allowing that piano lesson too to be a break for the parent where they don't need to be involved. They don't need to be telling their kid to focus or whatever. Just let the parent have a, a little break then. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If, you know, if we get a moment to read a little bit. Sometimes at the, if I've just started lessons with a student, I might, and they're younger, sometimes I need the parent involved because I'm still, you know, it takes several weeks to really get to know a student and they're equally getting to know me. Right. And so building a good, solid rapport is important and building that trust. Yeah. And I love what you said at the beginning about wanting to wanting people to realize how amazing your kids are, because I think sometimes probably unintentionally, we think of these students maybe with the diagnosis first and rather than thinking, this is my student who has perfect pitch and can play really well by ear. You know, we think this is my student who's squirrely or, you know. So I think that's really good to focus on those amazing qualities because every one of these students has so many amazing things that we can focus on, right? Oh, absolutely. And then you can use those gifts in your teaching, right? If if I have a student who 
I have a sweet young man who loves monsters. <laughs> and so to bring in monsters in any way that I can um, is helpful. I'm using something that he loves and knows to connect to something that is unknown. So if we're introducing um, like moving an octave lower, wow, can you move that song down to where a monster might sing it? You know, and and then you can introduce like the sound before symbol. Then you can introduce, oh, this symbol means you get to move lower and sound like a monster. And if another student is dance, another student is baseball or try to use what they love to connect it. There's, you know, students on the spectrum might have a special interest, like they're hyper focused into an interest. Right. So one student, it might be bugs. And absolutely, we will incorporate bugs any way that we can, because that gives them joy and helps them feel comfortable. A lot of times these students don't feel in control of their world, right? They're sometimes their body feels out of control, like in the event of ticks, or, you know, they have to go to so many appointments. And so what they can control is precious to them. A special interest gives them comfort and control from that kind of anxiety. And that's one of the beautiful things about teaching one-on-one is we can hone into that special interest in a way that maybe a classroom teacher can't. We can relate everything to bugs or rainbows or whatever it is. Exactly. Yes. So can you give maybe some specific examples for those squirrely lesson times? Um, Some helpful hints for us, because I imagine even if some of us maybe don't teach students with neurodiversity. I bet all of us teach squirrely kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> Any yeah. tips for those kids? Maybe it's that they just came from school or they've had a long day or whatever it is and they're feeling squirrely. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great question. And yeah, we do have to keep in mind, they have just come from a long day at school and they're tired. Their brains are tired. They've been socializing all day. They've been around people. It makes me tired. <laughs> And, you know, if they are on medication, a lot of times it's worn off by the time they get to me. And I think what I do varies from kid to kid. Like a kid who wants to sit and noodle on the piano, you know, their their ADHD is everywhere, you know, maybe give them a quiet fidget. You can order all kinds of quiet fidgets on Amazon. Um, there's a lot of really cute ones, fun ones. Elizabeth has a ton of fantastic ones. And keep a fidget bucket. Again, that's an idea from Elizabeth. I also try to make it a point to switch activities rather quickly. You know, focusing on something too long may be a challenge unless they start to hyper-focus. You know, uh, students could, if they're diving into something they love, they could stay hyper-focused for a while. And so you want to um, use that hyper-focus moment to really focus on a piece. I have a fish tank in my studio and Again, completely by accident. Um, and it, we ended up getting a bigger fish tank where it fit was kind of right in my foyer where my studio is. And just the slow pace of the fishes and the, it's got live plants moving around. It slows them down. So if they need a brain break, hey, why don't you go see if there's something new in my fish tank? So now they're off the bench. They're walking around. They're looking at something different. We'll do that for a few seconds and then we'll come back and switch to a different activity. And so just constantly switch, constantly switch. 
and have a lot of tools in your toolbox that you can have at the ready. So I may have a skeleton of a lesson plan, but I also have tools ready to go just in case. That's really good advice. I bet the fish are very calming to them. And then yeah, calming having, to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, just having some off bench activities ready and movement activities and things like that. That's really good advice. What advice do you have for the average piano teacher who doesn't have much knowledge or experience around this topic, but still wants to be an effective teacher to these students? This is a fantastic question. I am a lifelong learner. I love learning anything, diving into things. So I would say learn, 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 and learn some more. The landscape does change rather frequently. So keep up to date with the latest research, the latest methods, the latest tools, um, the podcasts. And so keep educating yourself. Talk to your parents and earnestly seek to learn from them. If you, if they have shared a diagnosis, can you tell me more about that? Or can, can you point me to resources? You know, you could go to, if you have a student with Tourette, that one's just fresh on my brain because it's what we're in the middle of right now. Go to the Tourette Association, educate yourself, you know, and get that background so you have some knowledge. Dive into books, webinars, blogs. But the key is to make sure you're seeking information uh, from a specialist. There can be a lot of um, anecdotal things that teachers may point out that um, may work in that one instant, but might not be a good general rule. And so just uh, research, research-based, uh, peer-reviewed uh, resources. I highly recommend Dr. Davis, Dr. Scott Price. I have another name on my brain that I can't think of at the moment. Um, in this day and age of social media and internet, it's easy for anyone to build a blank, a brand and a platform and inadvertently share misinformation. So about how to handle students like this. And so I think it's important to really seek out solid research-based material and specialists. I'm no expert by any means. I have life experience behind me, but now I'm seeking to dive in and uh, learn materials like this. So that's, that's what I would recommend for teachers who want to know more about it. Ask questions, reach out, research, get to know and constantly learn and be humble. You know, if you learn something or do something or use a technique that doesn't work, just be gracious to yourself. Okay, that didn't work. Make corrections in humility. And that is just kind of the key to life, I think. <laughs> I agree. Yes. Thank you so much, Tara. This has been really, really insightful for me and I'm sure for our listeners. And I'm going to be um, interviewing Dr. Davis as well. So she'll be on the podcast in a couple of weeks here. So that will give um, teachers another resource. But if teachers want to connect with you, is there a way that they can reach out to you? Uh, yeah, I have a website. I need to work on it. Um, but you can reach out to me, Tara Mock. Uh, piano.com. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Tara Mock Piano. I should post more, but you know, <laughs> life, it's not a priority at the moment, uh, but I'm hoping to get better. So those two places. And um, if you reach out to me and I haven't replied within 20, 24 hours, I probably didn't get it. So please try again. And I'm happy to help anybody out. Thank you so much, Tara. This was so insightful. And I'm just so excited to learn more about this topic. And I appreciate you sharing with us. Yeah, I, thank you so much for having me. This was my first podcast interview ever and you just made it such a delightful experience. Thank you. Of course, thank you. 
How do you keep up to date with all the latest trends and research into music education? How do you connect with other teachers around the world and make sure your teaching stays fresh and relevant for students of all ages and stages both now and into the future? I created our Top Music Pro membership to be the one-stop shop for music teaching resources, training, support and community and I'd love for you to come and join us inside. With over 40 comprehensive training courses, hundreds of teaching demonstrations and lesson plans, free monthly sheet music, discounts, and all the business and pedagogy support you could ever need, Top Music Pro is the community you've been looking for. If you're ready to level up your learning from the podcast and join thousands of other teachers in our global network, head over to topmusicpro.com today.